0: Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Merrill Memo. Well, i tell you what folks, we have a big program to get through there today. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with our Mayor today. Sort of some of the main things you want to try to address though is the fact that it's actually a huge month in our region here for these sporting events. It's already started, there's a big athletics event happening this weekend also, is the Dubbo Sports Hub about to happen? There's been a lot of talk about it for a while, so we're going to find out today if it is going to finally become a reality. And of course, is Wellington at the forefront of the development of the flying car? What is actually happening out there at Wellington? All this and more, of course, on today's discussion here with our Mayor, Matt Dickerson. Matt Dickerson. Hello, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks,
1: and I must say thanks for coming along on your birthday. Happy birthday to you! I'd sing oh, your happy you happy birthday if I could sing.
0: Oh, mate! I like, well, I was actually hoping that might be the in place of the limerick there today. But <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: uh, last week was so focused on you, I can't do two hundred. Oh, I, I know, I know. It is
0: all about me some days, isn't it? But today, yes, it is my birthday. So thank you, and may I also return the uh, happy birthday to as well from uh, during the week as well.
1: Well, I'm not happy about that actually. No? I, I did park run last week and. Did a reasonable time for me for for my levels. Did about a twenty-two thirty-nine, I think it was. So that's okay. Oh, I dream a time <laughs> like
2: that. <A> dream <laughs> and
1: of uh, I've had one little birthday during the week, so I've gone up in age by one year and I was about 47 seconds slower this week so ah, that, there it is. turning over a year yeah. is not a good idea it's, it's,
0: it's pulling you backwards my friend and also <laughs> I can great. see a few extra grey hairs there from shining <laughs> through the back of that light there <laughs> it must be the lighting in this room <laughs> it's, it's got to be the lighting got to be the lighting well mate it's been a busy week and it's of course a very busy month coming up this month in regards to sporting events so Talk us through it, Matt. What's actually happening uh, in Dubbo and the region in regards to these sporting events? Because I noticed even going down to the park run there this morning that they've already got some of the grandstand uh, seating set up there for, I think, the uh, touch football competition, which is about to kick off.
1: Yeah. So what's actually going on? And the touch footy, 24th to the 26th of February is the touch footy one. But you're right. It was interesting. I got an inquiry during the week from a media outlet and they said, what's Dubbo doing wrong? Mudgee's got an NRL match. Orange has got two one-day female cricket matches, state cricket matches. Uh, I think they're playing – New South Wales playing ACT and Orange for mm-hmm. two different events there. Yep. What's Dubbo doing wrong? And there's a, a few things in that. One of the things that I think people get a bit too focused on is Dubbo versus Orange mm. versus Bathurst That versus inter-regional
0: Macy. sort of competition thing, yes, yes. Well,
1: and that might be okay when you're playing sport against each other, but in mm. terms of getting some of the events, what you're really hoping for is to get those events – as close to you in terms of regional as possible. Yeah. So I'm actually quite okay with Mudgee having an NRL match. I'm quite okay with Orange having some one-day matches because it's bringing people to regional areas. That's right. And the reality is you can't expect to get every single event for your own city as much as you do go in there and pitch for them. Yes. You do actually like the fact that Orange gets events, Bathurst gets events. There are all these different events that feed into region. And what you're really trying to do is trying to convince 5 million people in Sydney Mm. that regions exist. So if they manage to come to a Mudgee or an Orange or a Bathurst or a Temworth or a Wagga, any of these regional areas that are out there, probably our old Evo cities, we used to have that program going, that's always good for the region. But... Let's talk about some of the things that you're talking about mm, mm. because getting an NRL match, we know we've had that before. Yes. We've talked about the incredible amount of money, $350,000 or thereabouts. You're paying to an NRL club yep. a huge amount of money and then you start to weigh up what that does for the economy. It does inject some money in the economy, but for an NRL match like we had and you, you, you might get, on a great day, you might get 13000 14000 to come to an NRL match. Some of those are your own citizens. Yes. Some of them travel, but a lot of them travel in and out because they're yes. coming from nearby in the region, so it's still good, don't get me wrong, Mm. but one of the things that really is Dubbo's bread and butter is not going out, spending hundreds of thousand dollars trying to attract those big events. Lots of little events seem to be where we get better bang for our buck. Yes. And you've made mention of some of the events we've had on. So just very briefly, just a few that come to my mind over the last month or so, we had the New South Wales Swimming Championships back on January, towards the end of January. So we had from that maybe 700 visitors for a few days there out of that. Excellent. Athletics New South Wales had their country championships. That was around that actually the same weekend of the swimming championships. So again, that had uh, three days. That had probably 400 visitors for each of those three days. Wonderful. We've got over the weekend that we record this podcast, we've got the Little Athletics New South Wales Region 3 championships. Now, that particular, the Region 3 championships, one thing that's great about that is that as you go through with little A's, yeah, And I remember my kids have, have done this, they've all grown up now, but they used to go through this process. So you compete at reg- – if you want to get to state championships, you compete at regional championships. And obviously regions are smaller, they're broken down. Yep. If you get certain placings and times, etc., at those championships, then you go through to zone. So we're in zone three. Mm-hmm. Zone three goes from the mountains out to Cobar. Right. And then –
0: It's a big region, isn't it? A big it? region. And yeah. then
1: from about Walgett down to, say, Forbes – in that entire region, mm. there is one international standard athletics track.
0: I wonder where that is. Yeah. Mm.
1: So, since we built that track back in 2014, mm. the Zone 3 Championships have been held in Dubbo every year. Because Isn't that if you make it through at these championships, you make it through to state. And I know back in the early days when my kids used to compete, and all of my kids made it through to state at various times at various events. Mm. But But they used to compete in those early days on a grass track.
2: That's it, yeah. And
1: it actually, some of the coaches at Little Athletics actually talked about the fact that it was different running on grass compared to the synthetic track. And you think, oh, how different can it be? Mm. But I know kids that used to go there would say their stride was a bit different, their length Mm -hmm. of their stride, the way they ran, maybe the the muscles they used were ever so slightly different. Mm. So you're at a huge disadvantage training on grass, competing on grass, and then going to state where you're competing We're already seeing kids. the
0: results of uh, what's happening here in Dubbo in regards to having the track here. Like Some of the outstanding young athletes yeah. that are coming through, I'm just seeing yeah, kids like on. Ella Penman and these sort of kids. They're absolutely magic, what yeah. they're doing out there.
1: So that's fantastic. So Region 3 Championships, now they've been... A 1,000 visitors or more come mm-hmm. to that. Again, it's typically a two-day event, but you don't turn up on the morning. You always come on the Friday before mm, it, or maybe absolutely. a bit earlier. Yep. Yep. So that's a fantastic event. The touch you mentioned, 24th, 26th of February, that'll be 10,000 visitors for four days. That's
0: extraordinary. I know we've talked about this, and this is coming up in basically two weeks' time, isn't it?
1: Yeah, wow. just not far away. And then even in the beginning of March, we've got the Little Athletics State Combined Championships. They're, right. they're saying that maybe 3,000 visitors will come there. Even if you jumped out to June, we're going to have the New South Wales Junior Rugby Under 13, Under 14 Championships, 4,000 visitors. Mm. I haven't even mentioned in there the cricket tournaments that we've had that we've talked about on the podcast in the past. So when you consider those events, what's great about those is that you'll get mums and dads who will travel with their children. Not all those mums and dads. That's probably a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? You'll get carers, various carers who will come with children. They'll stay in motels. They'll buy meals. They'll... Mm. Take their kids out to some of the things. They might go to the Old Dubbo Jail or the Royal Flying Doctor Visitor Experience Centre. Obviously, mm. the zoo, all these different things. They might mm. get into Wellington to the old the Wellington caves or just visit different areas. So all of these things are great. But the constant stream of those events throughout the entire year
2: yeah.
1: is what Dubbo is really good at. And I think the sporting organisations we deal with keep telling me anyway when they mm. meet me, they love the number of sporting fields we've got the proximity of those sporting fields, how easy it is accommodation-wise, mm. 5,000 beds in Dubbo. Mm. So all of these things feed in. So, yes, we'll grab the NRL matches, yep. the cricket matches, all those different major events, when we can get them and when they make sense. But we're not going to go and ignore all these other great ongoing events just for those big premier events. We want to make sure that we're catering to all these little events because I think they do more for our economy Mm. than those big events. So it's an interesting question. Hopefully we're satisfying that and we're not having to pay Little no, A's, no, $350,000 right. to come and bring their Region 3 championships. We haven't had to pay that money mm. each year for the last year. It reminds 10 me years. of a
0: story once that a builder once said to me who was sort of doing extension work on houses. And I said, Well, why don't you go out and do the major projects, the, the really, really big projects? And he said, Mark, little fish taste better than big fish. <laughs> there you go. And, that's, and in many ways, this is what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's making right. sure we capture all the little fish out there.
3: Yeah, that's spot on.
0: Fantastic. Well done.
3: Now, Matt, I'm really
0: excited about the discussion on this one because uh, to me, I don't know if this is leading towards where the Jetsons were with the flying cars, but uh, I noticed during the week there that you went out to Bedanga Airstrip and you went out there uh, to see a group called Vertilia or Vitilla? I'm not quite sure. You can probably uh, explain to me that one there. Now, What is it about these guys? Are they actually, is this the early stage of development of the Jetson car? Is this what we're looking for here? What what is actually going on out here? Because this does sound pretty interesting.
1: The flying car has been talked about a little while for a while. Oh, hasn't it just? Yes. And we've had a few false starts along the way. Mm -hmm. This is certainly getting closer. And we had the privilege of watching a demonstration of this particular device during the week, which was pretty exciting. So the unit itself, the actual flying device, Vertia, I think is how you pronounce it, V-E-R-T-I-A, And the company is a company called AMSL Aero Proportional Limited. Now, Mm. they needed somewhere to do some of their very early testing. Mm. They actually were going to go to Narrowmine at one stage, and Narrowmine was pretty excited about that, justifiably so. Mm. In the end, the housing around the Narrowmine mine. Aerodrome, Airstrip there, was too close for them to be allowed to do some of their testing because obviously they've got to work very closely with CASA. Mm. So they came and spoke to Dubbo Regional Council. We said, sure, you can't do it at Dubbo Airstrip, but you can do it at Badengra because houses are far enough away and the traffic is the right volume. Mm. So this particular company, and, and I've talked to them before. In fact, one time before I was mayor this time around, I was actually on a plane flying back from Sydney to Dubbo for some other event that I was at and just as I normally do, sit beside someone, I'd say, hi, my name's Matthew, shake their hand yep, and, a normal and sort of social chat. either they yeah, yeah. talk to me or they put their head in their book and yeah, whichever yeah, way is fine. Yeah. This guy started to talk to me about what he was doing and the proposal that he had. It happened to be one of the two founders of this particular company. Oh, is that right? So, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we've, yeah, we've yeah. chatted a few times since then about...
0: The moons collide in the right sort of way for <laughs> exactly that moment. Right. That
1: so Andrew Moore is that particular gentleman's name. His partner in this process is Shabon Linden and mm-hmm. that's where the AMSL comes from, the initials of their name right. or their two names. So, what they've got is this really fascinating looking device. And you look it up on the internet, you can go and see pictures of it. It's got eight propellers. Right. And you think it's a bit like a drone. And we're kind of familiar with yep. the flying of drones. The difference with this particular product, though, is that it uses these eight prote- propellers in a vertical fashion to take off. Right. But when a drone flies, it's using a lot of its energy to keep the device up off the ground and a little bit of its energy to fly forward. Yep. So, in terms of Battery life, if you're using batteries, which a lot of them are, or yes. fuel efficiencies, they're not great. A helicopter's not great with its fuel efficiency, for example, because mm. it's using a lot of its energy to mm. just to stay just up just off up the, the ground. Yeah. What this does, which is different, is that those propellers then turn, they slowly rotate right. to a horizontal mode. Right. And it sits on two wings. It's got a back wing that sits up above the cabin yep. and a front wing that sits down, sits down in front of the, the cabin right. at a lower level. Yep. And then as it goes forward, it uses wings as a normal fixed wing aircraft, airplane does yep. to use air pressure to keep the actual device off right. the ground. So, so then it's using most of its energy
0: yeah.
1: to fly forward yep. rather than to stay off the ground. Yeah, right. So it's the perfect combination of a fixed wing aircraft, the efficiency yep. you get out of that, yeah. and a vertical takeoff and landing so aircraft.
0: Is it? Is, it, is it a like a size of a room or is it a small object or what, what are we talking about here? The
1: cabin itself, their initial applications for this, are all about aeromedical retrieval so right, the cabin right. itself is designed to fit a stretcher so someone laid out on a stretcher okay. and three people one being the
0: pilot so it's a reasonable size isn't it
1: the cabin is a reasonable size yeah, that's yeah. right so four people or one person laying out <laughs> and, yep. on, a, on a, a trolley or a stretcher and yep. three other people around there so you think about a cabin that fits about that yeah. and not a lot of extra room enough room for a bit of medical equipment that type of thing yep. but the real advantage here what they talk about is the real flung lock service they do a wonderful job but if you're out somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you can go to the Visitor Experience Centre and actually watch some of these videos mm. of people that have had accidents. You've got to get from where you've had the accident mm. to the nearest airstrip. Now, there's airstrips mm. all around out in regional areas. But and, it could and be a fair airstrip, distance, though, from the middle of nowhere. They could be, but yeah. and they're pretty rough-looking airstrips. Yes, <laughs> they're, absolutely. They're that's a bit right. of dirt. not, not maintained mandated. regularly, I'd suggest. I've landed on some of those and you're coming yeah. down going, sure this is an airstrip? <laughs> and then sometimes kangaroos are on those airstrips. Oh, yeah, and
0: absolutely. Nature cattle. of the beast in Australia, that's it. Yes. Exactly.
1: So you've got to get the person from where they've had the accident to the airstrip. Then Royal Flung Doctor Service comes in, picks them up there, treats them there. Then they get taken to an airport, like Dubbo Airport, obviously. And then you get patient transferred to go from the airport through to the hospital. So Mm. it can take some time and a few transfers. The big advantage with an aeromedical retrieval with something like the Vertia is that you would land where the accident is effectively, because it can land Mm. pretty much anywhere. If you're talking about out on a highway, you, you could cordon off an area, talking about out on a... Farm, you can obviously find somewhere pretty easy to land. And then you'll take them straight from there and every hospital essentially has some form of helipad somewhere that helicopter can land nearby. So you take them straight from the accident through to where they're actually needed. The next logical step, of course, is... They'll have some contracts, I'm sure, for some form of aeromedical retrieval, yep. but then it means it's not too far away from some taxi-type services yeah, as well. that's, that's what I'm thinking
0: here. This is the Jetsons. This Personal is exactly commuter, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So what we saw during the week was pretty interesting. Yeah. These aren't flying around Wellington yet. Don't get the binoculars out. You're not going to see them <laughs> flying around there. What it was was a cockpit sat on the ground right. about five metres away from the actual aircraft. Okay. The aircraft was all there, fully operational, but because it's in the early testing, no one was sitting in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. What they had to stop it taking off was a gimbal that then was mounted on the ground with a range of posts, about 20 posts were driven into the ground to stop it taking off. But what happens is the pilot took off and we got to watch all of this. It was fascinating. Mm. The pilot got to take off and so the unit itself takes off, but mm. it doesn't actually go anywhere because it's connected to this gimbal, right. but it can fly, it can So they're really lean sort of testing
0: the, the ability of, of the object right now.
1: It's really about the controls at this yeah. stage. So can I use those controls to make it lean left and lean right and yeah. forward and back as if I was flying it, yeah. and everything's working, the propellers are spinning, and everything's mm. happening the way it should do. The next stage they're testing will be tethered to some type of steel cable that will give it a bit of length. Maybe five meters, for example. Mm. So you be able to take off, but if something goes horribly wrong, you know it can't go spinning off into the air and land on someone's house mm. a few kilometers away. So that'll be tethered with a say maybe a five meter mm. wire cable. Then it'll be a longer tethering, and then it'll be testing around the airport, untethered, and then yeah. finally get the stage where it'll be used in commercial processes. They're mm. going to be down there at Bodengra doing all this sort of testing for probably a couple of years would be my guess. I don't okay. know the exact time frame there, yep. but a couple of years. But it is exciting. Yeah. Exciting to see Bodengra right at the very leading edge of this type of personal transporter yeah. aircraft. And even though what we're talking about is, is not highly confidential, you can go and sit outside the fence at the Air Airstrip and actually and watch, watch what they're happen. doing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure some of the development processes are confidential and some of the technology, obviously, is, is all confidential. But just yeah. watching it there, mm. yeah, absolutely fascinating. So yeah, it's good to it. see Wellington involved in
0: that that's way. how exciting. Now, Matt... Apparently then during the week at uh, the Comabella Hall, there was a meeting there with the residents about the roads out there. Now, this has been done in consultation with the council and uh, this is the causeway, isn't it, out there, which is uh, literally got destroyed through the last flooding, I'm, I'm assuming. That's what basically happened there. So... Uh, Have they fixed up the causeway out there or where are we up to in regards to that causeway development?
1: Yeah, it's a fair way to go on all of this, but I do applaud the residents there. And again, they've been working with council, but some residents there organised some people to come along. And Mark Mm. Conn I think, is probably one of the main drivers of that. And council said, we'd like to give residents around the area another update and before you know it, Mark Conn's organised a a room full of people there at Bella Hall, and so that was fantastic. It helps out council, and again, the beauty from that perspective is that we've got the chance to get out there and talk to them. So our CEO Mm. went there, our director responsible for roads, Luke Ryan, was there, myself and the deputy mayor, Richard Ivory, were there, and again, it's just a good chance to talk to residents, to hear some of their concerns, and as a result of that meeting, we actually changed part of our program and the way we're going forward with a a slight caveat that I'll talk about in a moment, Mm. but... Trying to work out the best solution. Now, what happened during some of that extended rainfall, extended flooding that we had, was that Saxa Road was damaged severely. So,
0: this is the road, Saxa Road, we talked about this before, this is the road that sort of links Wellington to the Golden Highway. Is that, is that the one? Pretty, Pretty much, yeah. It goes yeah. from Mitchell
1: Highway before Wellington across to the Golden Highway. Yep. And so there were a lot of logging trucks that were mm. using that road, for example. Mm. It's a
0: reasonably busy road, Saxa Road.
1: Well, it is. And, and I'd probably say in the past, and maybe even when it was built, it was probably designed more for servicing local farms along there to get mm. cattle, sheep, to get grain off their property, whatever it might be, but mm. mainly for those farmers along that area there. But it's being used a lot more than that now, which is probably why it's damaged a bit more mm. and the rain obviously didn't help that road and and maybe it wasn't constructed perfectly in the first place. Mm. That's all past history. But one of the problems there is you've got Mitchell's Creek, which doesn't flow much normally, but obviously you get extended rain, it starts to get a yep. bit higher. But the actual Comabella causeway that goes across Pitchwell's Creek there Mm. is now in terrible condition. Large parts of the concrete are breaking apart. There are plants growing through the middle of that there. It just wasn't safe. So we did, at one stage close it off completely. But again, we heard feedback from residents saying, well, if I lived on the other side of that causeway to get Mm. into Wellington is a major drama now because Mm. I've got to go a long way around either way just to Mm. get into Wellington, being my local area that services me. So we opened it up slightly. And this is what happens sometimes, the problem Mm. that we face. We put some barriers in place to stop trucks. We put a a weight limit on that and said light vehicles only, servicing local traffic only. So if you've got your four-wheel drive, you can go across it there. But if you've got your, your truck or your semi-trailer, then no, you can't go across there. But what we found, we put up some concrete barriers to just stop large vehicles getting right. through there. Yep. And we found that trucks were pushing them out of the way so they could go across this causeway. And when oh, you look no. at this causeway, yep. it is falling apart. And you think, mm. we put it up for a reason. It. It's not safe. No, so we it. had to put more concrete barriers okay. and rearrange them in a way that right. they so couldn't they be easily through, okay. Yeah, yep. that's right. So you've got light traffic going across there. Yeah. Then we said to the residents there, we've got a long-term solution, which is to build a bridge rather than the causeway. And the causeway, mm. as people would understand, basically it goes down through the creek, but we want to build a bridge that at least keeps people above that so when the mm. water's flowing higher, at least water can still go under it and we can have people yeah, going it across be the be more
0: permanent there that's going to... Correct, yeah. and have a,
1: a better weight limit on there, yeah. but that takes time mm. and money. We think we've got the money problem partly solved, okay. but the time problem obviously... It's a long way to go before we can actually build a bridge. It's yeah. not something you can do that quickly. So we said in the meantime, we think we can actually remove the concrete slab that's there and redo a new slab across the top to at least give light traffic better access, but still mm. we, it's not going to be heavy enough to handle mm. or, heavy enough, or strong enough to handle the heavy traffic that might go on there. Mm. But the said, well, if you do that, while you're actually repairing that, then it's going to be out of action completely. So we're mm. going to have to go the long way around. What other things can we do? Mm. Now, in the meantime, farmers being as resourceful as they are. The
0: engineer of a farmer, I can see where this is going. Yes. They've
1: put another little crossing that goes down right, okay. beside yeah. the existing crossing There now,
0: is, is this going to cause a problem with certain departments? Correct. Okay. and I thought it might. They, okay. <laughs> they basically,
1: and the farms have done, well, I think a pretty good job. I went for a walk through it the other day. I drove yeah. my car through it. And it's designed to allow some of that heavier traffic to get through mm. there if they need to. They put a bunch of blue metal there. They're going down through the creek and you can get through it again. I wouldn't want to take just a small vehicle through it, but yep. a large vehicle or a four-wheel drive, no problems at all. But of course, as we know from our discussion last week.
0: Is this another New South Wales fisheries issue? Correct. Okay. Because right, yeah. Talk me through is, it. So what, what, what's the issue now is with they've... Because there's been no uh, approval set in regards to it? Absolutely right.
1: And council were not involved in this. Obviously, residents went and did this. It's defined as waterland, as we know from last Mm -hmm. week. And you make any change to that, that's defined as dredging. So technically, Mm. the farmers have dredged a waterway, so they're not allowed to do that. Now, what we've done, we didn't know about this beforehand, obviously. We've now had a meeting out there. I've walked through it. We now know about it. Council yep. knows about it. We have an obligation to report. We can't look the other way and mm. say, oh, well, we didn't know about that. We it's know like about mandatory it. It's a reporting
0: sort of thing, isn't it? Once you know, you've got to report. Mandatory
1: reporting, mm. exactly right. So we've said to fisheries, this exists. We now know about it. Here are some photos of it. Mm. But we would like you to allow the farmers to continue to use that if it needs some extra material dropped mm. there, if we need to do something to it yep. just to make it that bit safer yep. – then fine, let's do that, but we want you to leave that open. That's our request to New South Wales Fisheries Mm. because in feedback from the residents there at the hall, Mm. they said, if we can keep that side crossing open, then great, go and do the temporary work you need to do on the crossing, then plan for the bridge, and we can do all of that while we've still at least got some access through. If fisheries make us close that down, hmm then it becomes more interesting. Mm. We don't want you to go and take away the light vehicle access that we've got now. And when you do the bridge, we really want you to do the bridge on a new alignment because as soon as you close that, that's a problem. And think about emergencies, if someone has an emergency out there, there might be a pregnant lady out there, there might be someone mm. who has a farming Absolutely.
0: accident. Yeah, there's there's residents, there's people living in these spaces that they need access. This is
1: the real world we're living Absolutely. in there that things can happen. So yeah. there's all that to consider. We don't know the answer from New South Wales Fisheries okay. yet. We don't know what we'll do with that bridge depending upon that answer. But the great part is just working yeah. with these residents because one of the other areas that was talked about was the Forest Valley Road Causeway. And that's been blocked by water for a long time. But now mm. that water's gone down, mm. you've got a huge amount of sand there. But of course, we can't move that sand. No, I know about the moving sand practice, Yes, yes, <laughs> so I've right. learned all about that. Yeah. So again, feedback from the okay. residents was, "Can you hurry up and fix that up?" And we said, "You guys must no, have a hotline to New South Wales <laughs> Fisheries <laughs> at going at right moment, now, I'd suggest That's feels It feels like that. Yeah. So we'll work on fixing that causeway as well. But just for residents out that area, Saxa Road, Wonga Jong Lane, Windora Road, Ballymore Road, Comabella Road. There's some of the roads that residents are giving us feedback about. Yes, I, I have talked about this before, and I do ask for patience from residents. 2,875 kilometres of roads.
2: Mm.
1: We've only got a team so big. That's right. We've only got so many materials. We've only got so many contractors we can engage. We're trying to get all the work done on all these roads and those roads are important but yeah. lots of other people across the OGA have important roads as well. So we're doing what we can. Yeah. We can't wave a magic wand. We can't click our fingers but we're working through it. But, Keep giving us feedback. We're happy to take those emails, take those phone calls to know about different areas, but just don't always expect it to be fixed immediately. And even this process alone has taken many months to get to this particular point.
0: I'm glad to see there's consultation happening.
3: All right, Matt. Now, uh,
0: I've got a feeling this might uh, stir a few people up, I feel. This is, there's... There's something about to happen here. It looks like down in council, the uh, the council chambers, the the holy space um, <laughs> where all the the aldermen of past and present have met. Since I would suggest probably matter, uh, you know, mid to late seventies. I'm thinking. Um, it looks like. I, am I right in saying this that uh, Dubbo City Council is about to change the, the holy space to another area? Are you going to move the with the internally within the building? What's happening here?
1: Well, no decision has been made by council yet. There okay. will be if there's a. a Is it a point of discussion, though? It's certainly a a point of discussion and something that will come forward to councils eventually, as you know that nothing is determined until there is a council resolution. Yes. And I've often talked to councillors in the past that it's great to have councillors out there in the community talking about various decisions that are Mm -hmm. being contemplated, it gets to the point finally you make a council resolution. That's mm. in the council resolution, a bit like the umpire's decision. Mm. You can appeal as much as you like to the umpire and say, mm. "Couldn't you say that that was obviously <laughs> plum?" So once the
0: call's been made, it's been made. So, so what's the reason behind it? What's the is, is there a particular reason why there's a need to move the chamber?
1: Well, need and maybe a desirous outcome are probably two slightly okay. different things. One of the things that's interesting, and you, you're right, I think that new building there, and I'd love to find it at the exact date, but I would suggest it was probably sometime in the mid-70s. Yep. The council chambers used to be around Macquarie Street, sometime around the mid-70s. It was moved to the current building. Mm. 1980 was when there's an amalgamation between Debo City Council and Talbaga Shire Council. Yep. It was definitely before then. Yes. 1966 was the declaration of Dubbo as a city. Right. And I've seen photos from there where it was the old Chambers in Macquarie Street. So it was definitely sometime after that. Yes. But where in that, I don't actually know the exact date. But let's go mid-70s. Mid-70s.
0: But that's so, about my time of my, uh, my grandfather, Eddie Meek, was uh, on council at the time. And I remember go. going into the council there and smelling the new veneer that would have been put in, in the 1970s in those rooms. So, yes. There
1: you go. So you've got somewhere in the vicinity of maybe not 50 years of history, but close mm. to. So a lot of meetings have been held during mm-hmm. that time. I do remember a couple of times when I first got onto council, there'd been a fire in the council chamber. Some kids had got in and broken into a window and set a fire yeah, in the council that. building. Yeah, yeah. And so we were meeting, council meetings were held at the old Dabo High building, which is now right. part of the Western Plains Cultural Centre. Yep. And that was quite an interesting experience because you would sit around in a classroom literally yes. and the gallery would sit there just beside you so they could almost look over your shoulder and look at your notes <laughs> that you're writing down there and oh, excuse me, Mr. you and I think you've missed a point there on <laughs> yeah, your second right. page. <laughs> uh, and there have been, I do remember one meeting that we had over in the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre because it was particularly a particularly contentious issue. Mm. It was about Save Our South, about some zoning plan oh, yes, yes, changes yeah, yeah, recommended yeah. at the time around South Dubbo yes. and there was such interest in that, that was before we had live streaming, mm. we held the meeting over in the theatre because we wanted to have all that seating capability there. So, mm. There have been times it's been held outside there, but generally, Mm. for those close to 50 years, that's been the place. Mm. But one of the issues, in my mind, is you've got this chamber space there that's used twice a month. We have our standing committee meetings there.
0: It's a big space. It's a pretty big space. It is a
1: pretty big space. We've got our council meetings there, and that's about it. Sometimes you might have... Executive-level staff meetings might be held there occasionally, but really it's only used a couple of times. Yeah. We've got a huge number of staff, over 500 permanent staff now. Mm. You've got to make sure you put them somewhere and you don't want to pay too mm-hmm. much for the real estate that they're in there, rental or buying it. Yeah, yeah. And so we started looking at it saying, well, you've got all this space there. Is there some way mm-hmm. we could actually use that space? Mm. The other part is that it's upstairs. Mm. So at the moment, if you're in a wheelchair, for example, and you want to come into the chamber... It's a bit of a process to go through the council building, up the lift, down through a, a chair lifter to the chamber, which is just at a slightly lower level than the, the mm. first floor, and mm. then into the chamber. Mm. And that's not really a dignified way for someone mm. in a wheelchair to access the chamber. Yeah. So, this is interesting, and I do expect there'll be some feedback about oh, this.
0: So there'll be plenty of people asking, give you the question, and what value do you put on history in the space, I suggest? And that's
1: right, and some former councillors might have some Absolutely, issues yes, with this. Yes, I don't yes. know, I haven't heard from them yet, because we haven't really talked um, around the public about yet. to find out, though. But that's downstairs, yeah. we've got some conference rooms, mm. and they're used throughout the week for various things, small mm. meetings, groups, different committees, etc. Mm. But there's no reason we couldn't, book those conference rooms out on the standing committee meetings and the council meetings each month, which Mm. might mean that we lose those conference rooms for half a day, say twice a month, and the rest of the time they're used and then the chamber could be changed into Office space, for example, mm. or space that's used by our staff on an ongoing basis, mm. rather than having to keep that space there. Don't go into the chambers; mm. it's just sitting there, waiting mm. for the meetings that happen. Well,
0: I must admit, like you know, I I didn't mean to be sort of flippant regards to referring to as a sacred space, but it almost is that. It's it's right now it, there is this sense of the fact you've got this great big space area, as you say, twice a month. That's all to choose for, mm. and it's what's it for? It's for a meeting. It's
1: for a meeting. That's right. Like, yeah, and, and, folks, and you want to make yeah. sure there's some serious nature of a councilman. You want mm. to have a space that reflects this is a serious space where serious decisions are being made. Mm. A council resolution, you've heard me talk about it, is a mm. council resolution. Actions must follow from that. Don't make a council resolution... Flippantly, don't stick but, your hand up but you're not so sure. is that so much more
0: about the people, though, in the space taking it seriously, or is it the room you're in? You, you, you know what I mean? Like it's, And sometimes you know, we're not talking about of, the Hall of Mirrors here in Versailles.
1: <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's, sometimes it's a bit of both. When you mm-hmm. walk into a serious space, sometimes you do become more serious, and so you've got to do that. So what we do, and again, if we do this, it's, it hasn't been resolved by council mm-hmm. yet, what we need to do is make sure that what we have downstairs in the conference room is something that still looks serious still looks like i council i meeting. get the formality
0: of the the, yeah. the moment there's, it there's
1: might certainly. be for example we might have various things the flags the, the photos whatever we might put up hmm. we might have them behind a curtain that's not seen when you're doing the normal conference hmm. room and then it gets to council meeting day we pull back the curtain and it's almost into serious mode yeah. so there's all those things to be worked out but at the moment what we're doing is just looking at some arrangements. Mm. We'll then take that through to council. That'll be in a public meeting in terms of mm. in-council business papers. People can comment on all those things. Mm. And again, it'll be interesting to see. But just mm. from a straight economics point of view, mm. not talking about historical point of view, but mm. from an economics point of view, it does seem to make sense. Where we go with it, it'll be interesting to see. Well,
0: let me give you a quick little example before we, we finish this. There's You've been to the Kodak Theatre there in, uh, in Hollywood in Los Angeles now. That was a great surprise to me. When I went through that there, this is, where, of course, where they hold the Academy Awards. Now, when you walk in to that space, something that I didn't know, it's actually a shopping mall and yeah. they actually put up all of these facades and they actually bring down as you're sort of saying they, they bring down all these barriers and things like that all very nice looking of course but because the Kodak Theatre is only used once a year and that's for the Academy Awards and so they have all these sort of signs that's set up around the place there showing that this is where the Academy Awards but all the rest of the time that space moving into it is all about a shopping mall and this is the economics of scale they, yeah. they think well what's the point in having this space there we only use so irregularly let's the economics of this, what else can we do to make it more effective for people? And so that's what they do. So that's that's probably a bit more sacred, I'd suggest, than a council chamber. But anyway, <laughs> that's just maybe just me. <laughs>
1: and it's a, it's a good example where you do try and make things yeah. multi-purpose because I think gone are the days where you can just say, we're putting that particular facility in and that's mm. all it's ever going to be used for. You mm. see it with different sporting facilities as well where mm. they try and use it for – Cricket in the summer and football, yeah, right. whichever version of football you like in the winter, yeah. that's a very simple example. But again, be... you're trying to do that multi-purpose yeah. process because it makes more sense economically. Nice.
0: It'll be an interesting discussion at Council.
3: righty, moving right along there, Matt.
0: Now, during the week, oh, this one of these great titles. I'm going to have to sort of, uh, again, read through this one. The Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone Community Reference Group Meeting. Was held at the WPCC. I like how they get a little acronym there at the end of the that one there for the Western <laughs> Plains Cultural Centre. Um, now, I've know we talked about this group in the past. And this, we talked about, of course, we, we talk about this regularly because it is a big part of our region. We really have become this renewable energy region. So now this is a group that gets together. Um, I'm assuming maybe once a month, once every couple of months, not quite sure. You can explain to me what the regular nature of the meetings is is. And also in regards to it, this meeting you had there uh, during the week. What, um, what's the outcome of that? And who's actually in this meeting again? And what are you actually discussing this time around?
1: So this particular one is focused on energy codes. So when some large developments go through, in particular, some of these renewable developments, sometimes there'll be a requirement Or even it's just a good idea to put some sort of consultation group, reference group together to have discussions with the community so that that particular proponent has an idea of the community thinking around that. This particular one, Energy Co. Now, Energy Co. Mm. is basically given the job of constructing the transmission lines. We're talking about 500, 550 kV.
0: So this is the infrastructure, isn't it, really, to to help this energy zone?
1: To allow the renewable energy proponents the energy generators to connect Mm -hmm. in so and again that was talked about initially a 500 i think it was 500 not 550 500 kv line Mm. but they're talking about now two 500 kv lines to service this whole area which is Mm. good news it Mm -hmm. means there'll be more components more generators out here in this area Mm. more more proponents i'm sorry components more proponents out here in this area and so effectively you'll have this whole area there serviced by that. Now Energy Co, who are going to be building these transmission lines, have this reference group there and it is a reference group. So this group can't make any decisions. This group can say opinions, say what they think of things. It's really for Energy Co to be aware of what the community thinking is and you've got a range of different people representing different groups Mm. on this particular Mm. reference group. So you've got, for example, local government uh, delegates there. So you've got three councils, Midwestern, so Mudgee, you've got Warren Bungle, Cootabarabin, and you've got Dubbo. I'm the Dubbo LGA delegate on this particular reference group. Then you've got community representatives, people that have got an interest in those communities there. Mm -hmm. Often they are farmers because it's going through farmland. They don't have to be, but they're people who care about these things in the community. And then you've got a few different stakeholder groups who, again, there might be some opinion that these groups might be impacted in some way, shape Mm. or form. So, Mm. for example, you do have New South Wales farmers represented there. You've got Business Mudgee as a business group that's focused in there. You've got environmental councils, land care groups. You've Mm. got a group called Realliance in there. So you've got a range of those Mm. different ones. You've obviously Mm. got people from Energy Co. to talk about what's happening. And sometimes we'll have invited guests and the various generators that we know that are going to be involved are almost a standard invited guest, but we might have other invited guests that come along as well.
0: So it's a really diverse group of people, isn't it? It
1: is. And it's designed for Energy Co. to give us an update, which is, yep. again, as they go forward, giving an update on where things are at, how things are progressing, and then for them to hear some feedback from some of these groups. Mm. And you do get some extreme opinions on there. There's some people in these reference groups that are very keen on renewables. We want them to happen as soon as possible. Let's go full mm. stem ahead. We want it all to happen. And you've got other groups in there who aren't so keen on renewables mm. who are saying, can we put the handbrake on? Just can we mm. hold it there for a little bit? Get some more information. Or can we not do it at all? Or yep. whatever it might be. Yep. Ultimately, it's important for an educator to hear all this feedback. And they may or may not make decisions based on some of the feedback they've got from these mm. groups. So no decisions out of the meeting. It was really a chance for some feedback and Maybe some actions you might get out of some of these meetings, but typically it really is that feedback loop to make sure that Energy Co. knows what mm. is happening in the community. Mm. There are sometimes, and I don't think this is one of those examples, but there are sometimes you'll see some of these groups and there might be some sort of mandate to put a group together. And you just get the feeling when you're sitting in these meetings mm. that someone's ticking the box to say, I put a reference group together mm. and I heard from the community but they didn't really have their ears open when mm-hmm. they were hearing from the community. Mm-hmm. It's more when the development goes forward yep. and at each step there might be some requirement to say and community feedback or what do the community have to say? Then, mm-hmm. yep, we tick that box. Here are the meetings that we held. End of story. But again, I think this one is a bit better than that. Uh, typically they'll meet quarterly. Is, is okay. the, these so sort once of consultation every three
0: months meeting yeah, together?
1: Yeah, okay. that's right. But it, I actually like sitting on them because... I just get a bit excited about all the things that are happening. Yeah, of course you do yeah,
0: And yeah. you want
1: to see what's happening and you want to hear about it, but people bring valid concerns forward. People yeah. bring concerns forward about housing and how we'll have enough housing. Where are the people that are going to be working on these projects coming from?
2: Mm.
1: What about the farm and that it's going through? How is it going to work for those farmers? How yeah. wide are these particular easements? So, mm. And that was one of the things that, that I learned on the weekend, or sorry, during the week with this particular meeting, was that the easement itself is 70 metres for these power lines because they've stepped up. Again, there was some talk about them being maybe lower voltage power lines initially, but now they've stepped up to these high voltage. The easement is 70 metres. So where that power line is, where that tower is constructed, 35 metres on either side of that is how much room they'll need. Now, when you've got two 500 kV lines, they will typically have Two lots of 70, but sometimes they might right. combine those and it might not be a full 140 metres.
0: Yep. So if they go through a farmer's land, do the farmers get compensated for this or do they have a say if goes through their land or how does that work?
1: They definitely get compensation and right. the compensation, there are so many different numbers thrown about. Often what happens with compensation, and this is one thing that I prefer them to do it a bit differently,
2: mm.
1: often the compensation seems to be the last thing they talk about. Now, mm. farmers are very concerned about loss of income. Farmers yes. are concerned about yes. a whole range of Absolutely. valid you- problems these power lines being constructed here, what impact does that have? How does that affect my farming operation?
0: All fair questions.
1: And then at the end of all that, the particular proponent, whoever that might be, then typically says, oh, by the way, we'll give you X dollars for that. Now, I would prefer they led with that because sometimes some of the concerns that a farmer might have, for example, I'm going to lose some of my farming land, I'm going to lose some of my income, Mm. if the proponent said at the very beginning, by the way, we're proposing to pay you X dollars per meter or X dollars per kilometer, whatever the figure might be, mm. an upfront fee, an ongoing annual fee, whatever, tell the farmer those numbers up front, because mm. mm. then the farmer can say, well, I know I'm going to lose some of my income because I can't put crops there or I can't have the same number of cattle, or whatever it might be, they can calculate what they might lose. But I know straight away I'm getting this money coming in. That's more mm. than what I'm losing. Okay, that's taking care of my finances. Now let's focus on any other concerns I might have. Mm. But sometimes the concerns are financial, which is fair enough, yeah. and they just don't talk about those numbers till no. the very end. And i said that to Inland rail. I've talked to people from Inland rail. i said, tell these farmers how much they're going to get paid up front. Absolutely. And that takes away one of the concerns. You're talking
0: about people's livings here. This is their livelihood. That's right. Yeah, this is what they do.
1: And now, there, there might be other valid concerns. I don't have a problem mm. with that, but at least – One is easy. Mm. The other ones might not be as easy to solve, but the money one is relatively easy to solve Mm. to put people's mind at ease that they'll still have that money coming in. Now, for easements, I don't mind the idea of easements. If I owned a farm and someone was going to pay me, if they told me up front Mm. they're going to pay me some money for this easement, and then I look at that and I think, well, that easement that goes through there, well, I can still farm underneath that probably, and I lose where the actual towers are going to be. I lose a bit of space there. Mm. But if I'm getting a reasonable amount of money For what's happening there, that probably sounds okay. So, sure, I'm happy for you to run that through my particular property. There are people that have concerns about the magnetic field that's created Mm. around Mm. uh, uh, electrical cables. But again, that's been proven time and time again to not have any health impacts. But some people still have those concerns. So that's fine. Go through and explore those, yeah. investigate those, look at those. Again, take the other easy stuff out yeah. of the way.
0: Does a farmer get a say in regards to whether or not this goes through? Like, if, if he doesn't want or she doesn't want that to go through their land, do they get the opportunity to say, no, I don't want that going through my land? Not really. <laughs> yeah, okay. One of
1: the things, if I was a farmer, and the recommendation I'd give to mm. farmers is I'd be talking to any of these proponents, energy Care, for example talking to them to try and work out where they're going where the best place to go is there are spots on my farm that maybe aren't as good as other areas so mm. go those areas there ultimately if i dig my heels in and i say you're not coming through my land ultimately for the sake of a project of this significance mm. you have compulsory either acquisition or compulsory yes. easement the compulsory powers. acquisition
0: this is like the castle the film exactly
1: yeah. right and so but often it won't be compulsory acquisition because Energy Co. doesn't need to own this land. They Mm. just need to be able to get access to the towers or if, for example, something happens with a cable and it breaks and it's sitting on the ground, they need to be able to get into those areas. Mm. So it's, it's, and I'm not sure what the exact term is, but compulsory access might be Mm. the term, for example. So ultimately, if I say no, then the government has powers because you can imagine if you didn't, Mm. you could say, they're constructing hundreds of kilometres of power lines from out here across to the coast, for example, where most of the power is needed, then you can imagine one farm that says, no, you've got this hundreds mm-hmm. of... Cl- oh, we can't mm-hmm. use that because we've got that mm-hmm. gap there. Billy Bloggs' farm, that kilometre there, yep. he said no, so we can't do anything about it. So you have to have a government of the day yep. has to have the ability to put these things in where they are required. Now, sure, they might say, oh, look, just go around there and go through Jimmy's place. Jimmy said it's okay. Billy said mm, no. Mm. But then you're adding expense to a project and it's mm. not cheap to go and put up no. large transmission lines. So ultimately... But as you say, I
0: think the big thing is, is, is being able to negotiate this with the farmers and being that talking point to, to allow them to sort of have their fears alleviated early on. I think that would certainly solve a lot more of these issues.
1: And having a standard pricing, the, the big yeah, thing they yeah. do is they want to meet often with... Farmer 1, Farmer 2, Farmer 3, individually, confidential meetings, you're signing Mm. an NDA, you can't talk to anyone, but they're Mm. just having different conversations with them all. Mm. Again, if I was in government, what I'd be recommending is I'd be saying, go forward Mm. with a common formula that's open and transparent to everyone. Mm. And if you deviate from that formula, make sure you've got justification, not just that Jimmy argued a bit harder than Billy did, make it so that here's our standard formula, we pay X dollars for everyone so everyone gets that payment but open and transparent we had mm-hmm. to pay Jimmy X plus seven yeah. because this particular problem on his property or some other issue there yeah. and everyone else that looks at it if it seems like a fair and reasonable thing they say okay that makes sense on that particular property mm-hmm. that's to me a bit of an issue that is not really worked out up front at the moment. It seems like secret squirrel stuff, mm. and that just makes everyone suspicious. Absolutely. And everyone is being told, you're getting a better deal than your farmers, but then if you if you kind of have a subtle conversation with your farmers, which you shouldn't do because you've signed an NDA, yes. you sometimes fine, they're not always telling the right story. So it makes yeah. it complicated. Yeah. It can be simpler than that.
0: But you know what they like? From the point of view of compensation, I know we've talked about this before as well in regards to the regions. There's a lot of regions that obviously – within this own area, you go through Mudgee, Wellington and Dubbo and all this sort of stuff and you move through. Is there anything happening here in regards to the compensation that these uh, environmental, like the, the groups now that are setting up the wind farms and the hydro plants and the, the solar plants, had, and how are we compensated for this now? Is, and are there any plans moving forward in regards to the nature of that compensation?
1: That's a really big question. There's a, so many parts of that. Mm-hmm. I'll try and cover off as much as I can without spending too much time on it. If, well, let's pick a wind farm. If you're a wind farm, the farmer itself typically doesn't sell his land to a, a wind farmer. They'll typically lease out a little bit of space. They'll get their roads upgraded, probably some fences upgraded. That's mm. all great, good benefits for the farmer. And they'll they, then get a payment for the lease of that land that that wind turbine sits on. So for a farmer in that scenario, fantastic, mm. because he can keep running cattle or sheep on each property, which often they are cattle and sheep rather than cropping farms because they're Mm. often in hilly areas because you've got the wind there.
2: Mm.
1: They keep running their farm and they're getting paid an amount. Fantastic. The community, which is the flip side of that, typically there'll be a community benefits fund. Mm. And the community benefits fund is something that you get not enough money, in my opinion, Mm. for the community. that can be used for the community in a whole range of different ways. Mm. But that's something that the wind farm, the proponent, that generator, pays to the community and then decisions are made about where it's that money goes. Does that goes, goes
0: pays through to council or the region? or Council will
1: often be involved in handing that out to different okay. groups. They manage the process often, but there's a, a community group that will sit, or community people that will sit on that group that make the decision about where that money will go. Mm. Then, on top of that, you look at what happens to the local economy because those community benefit funds aren't significant dollars. What happens mm. to the local economy? And in terms of a wind farm, for example you get a little bit of extra employment. Take the Bodengra wind farm, 33 wind turbines. I think they employ about five or six people. Okay. So not a huge amount of employment for that. But again, a wind farm, I'm comfortable with that because the farmer still runs his farm, so that's still happening. That doesn't change the economy locally. Mm. And the farmer gets a bit of extra money. Great, he might spend that in the local community. Mm. Then you've got a bit of extra employment. Not huge, but a few people extra employed, so that's good. And a community benefit fund, so a little bit of extra money there. Yeah. So overall, wind farms, pretty big tick there. A few benefits here and there. Some people think they're ugly. I think they're majestic that's a personal opinion. <laughs> but in terms of the economy, great. Mm. solar farms are not so great because okay. there's a few things that happen there. Often with a solar farm the farmer will sell his land to a wind a solar farm generator right. okay. unlike the wind farm. So the solar farm then just says we just want to generate electricity yep. so suddenly you're losing prime agricultural land. Mm. The inputs to the local community about the purchases of various products they might need for that farm are gone. Employment of that farm is gone. Mm. There is some small employment in terms of the people on the solar farm, but probably nowhere near the same number of people. Mm. And the real one that just annoys me no end Mm. is the fact that there is no compulsion from the state government for solar farm generators to pay a community benefits fund.
0: Yep, the wind farmers do, the wind farmers have to, the solar don't.
1: They don't. So you're not getting hmm. a community benefit from that.
0: Okay.
1: The employment you're getting out of it does not replace the farming employment, and you're losing that prime hmm. agricultural land. I can now, see that frustrates you. That's absolutely. right. It, it frustrates is, me it is here frustrating. Here. There are some places that they're looking at some solar farms where they're still talking about running sheep under the hmm. solar farms, and there's some testing being done. The number that's thrown around is you might be able to run sheep to maybe 70% of the capacity of that land normally, but then the wool might be better quality because it's a bit more protected. So you might not lose a lot there, but a lot of these farms are not sheep farms. They're taking away farms that grow yeah. wheat, for example, and then you're probably not as good running a sheep farm on that because the wheat might be a better crop. Mm. So the solar farms maybe not as good. Mm. Not saying let's stop it all, but let's change the whole dynamic of that, let's yep. make the community benefit fund compulsory. Let's yep. work out other ways we can get some money back into the economy mm. and still have because I still believe we need to have renewable power. No yep. doubt about that at all. Yep. Batteries again, are again a little bit different because you need a smaller footprint for batteries. So that's probably not too bad. You might lease some land of a farmer, you might buy a small part of their particular farm. Again there's no compulsion of a community mm. benefits fund. Lots of these generators or proponents say, mm. oh, that's a good idea. We'll look at doing that. Mm. But of course if it says you can voluntarily hand some money over or not, what are you going to yeah, do? He's
0: going to turn around and voluntarily do that. And you're yeah. going
1: to say, "I voluntarily do not do that."
0: So, no. that's it certainly sounds problem. like it's a there's a lot happening in this area, Matt. I think we're going to have to sort of pick it up again for another day. I think because there's so much more there, isn't there? And
1: you're right. There's so much to explore in all of that.
0: Mm. I uh, said so actually a little one here, Matt, in regards to there was a, a media inquiry that you felt uh, fielded during the week in regards to Australia Day. It seemed to be the, the comment here is about the fact they feel as though it was losing its relevance due to a lack of nominations. Uh, did we get good nominations this year with the Australia Day Awards?
1: Ever since I've been, I had the privilege of sitting on the awards committee, the committee that deliberates that, and that's only as mayor. So way back in 2011, I first sat on that committee. Yep and obviously still went through council, but I, I didn't have the privilege of sitting on the committee beforehand. Every year, I can remember we have some meetings leading up to the actual Australia Day event itself, and every year, oh, we haven't got enough nominations.
0: We,
2: mm. we
1: put some more advertising out, put another mm. media release out, more nominations, please. And we do eventually seem to get a reasonable number. If I had to pick a number, I'd say that across all the different categories, we're typically getting maybe 25 nominations.
0: Okay. and one That's person, a very solid nomination count. You're getting it, 25. It does seem
1: to be. And one person said to me, is it – difficult to do nominations and I said well no but it's probably time consuming because if I'm mm. going to nominate you, I can't just fill in a nomination and say Mark Barnes, Citizen of the Year he's a good bloke. Yeah, Because the committee and I know I sit on the committee, gets that nomination and they go do you know Mark Barnes, he is a good bloke yeah. but What's that's not done? enough, that's yeah, not that's enough right. to give him an award on. Yeah. So we ask people that fill in those nominations to put as much information as possible because we're relying mostly on the information in the nominations. Mm. There's great local knowledge around the committee mm. but again as much as we might know about Mark Barnes being a good bloke, hmm. we need to see what yeah. he's doing in the yeah, community. That's right. So in general, we like those nominations to be comprehensive and that means it takes a bit of time to fill them in. So that hmm. means people aren't flooding us with the nominations. Hmm. One of the, the media inquiries seemed to be about the fact that we didn't give out a Young Citizen of the Year award this year. Okay. Therefore, Australia is losing its relevance because you didn't have enough was nominations. Was that
0: because you didn't have enough nominations for the Young Person of the Year? What was the reason behind that?
1: Here's the thing that I think is absolutely vital. Mm. The Australia Day Awards that we give out, every award committee I've ever sat on for those, has been very particular about making sure that the awards that we give out are given to people that meet a standard, they cross a bar of being, of the standard required to win that Mm. award. Mm. So it means... Otherwise
0: it loses its level of significance, I suggest. We've
1: had years where we've had one nomination, and we've given an award to that particular person. We've had years, we've had one nomination, and we didn't give an award. Hmm. I've been involved with awards where we've had multiple nominations, Hmm. and we didn't give out that award. Hmm. So it's not a matter of, oh, well, you won that award because no one else got nominated. You're the only
0: one nominated, so therefore I'll give you the award. (laughs) That's right, which isn't
1: a great way to find out. Now, we never talk about how many nominations for each individual award because we think then – if there were awards, and I'm not saying if there were or there weren't, mm, but if yep, there were awards yep. that only had one nomination, for example, that person might feel like, well, I didn't really deserve this mm. because I only got one nomination, so who else mm. could they give it to? Mm. Let me guarantee anyone that's won an award, certainly in all the years that I've been involved, absolutely deserved that award. Yes, It's a very strict criteria, a very stringent process that we go through to make sure that the people winning those awards deserve them. So for the Young Citizen of the Year Award this year, we might have received... Zero, one, Mm. two, ten, Mm. I'm not going to say because it's all confidential Mm. because Mm. we don't tell people. That's fair enough
0: too and I understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we
1: don't tell people that were nominated that they were nominated. Because, again, it's probably a bit of a slap in the face. Oh, you were nominated, yes. but someone else won the award. Yes. Well, gee, I thought I was better than that person. Yes. So we don't ever tell the person. Now, the person that nominated them could obviously say, mm. oh, I put mm. you up for an award mm. and, well, you didn't win it. Bad luck about yep. that. Yep. Obviously, we tell the winners of the yep. award, so they know they won the award because they got the award. Mm. No one else do we talk about, and outside that committee meeting, those mm. names are never discussed. Yes. But, again, I don't think it's losing its relevance. Yep. I think fine-tuning it, modifying it, making it relevant, that's what we obviously tried mm. to do this year, and we'll continue mm. to do that in the future. But those Australia Day Awards, in fact, we've added over the years, we used to have the Senior Citizen of the Year at a separate day involved right. with Seniors Week. Yep. But we now do that on Australia Day. Yes, There was a request by the arts community to have a cultural person of the year awarded. They said, you've got a sports person, a young sports person, what about the mm. people in Culture And so that's been an award that's been added, and I can't tell you exactly when, but certainly I remember that going through in my time on council. Yes. So those awards, I think, are growing in their significance, and the people that win them, I think, are great advocates in our community for people that do some great volunteering work. So I don't think they're losing their relevance. The fact that we didn't give out one award this year, that's not the first time that's ever happened. I'm sure it won't be the last time. I would still encourage people, if you've got someone that you think is a worthy winner of one of those awards – Absolutely, yeah. nominate them. Yeah. That's really important, and I hope we keep getting those good nomination. I think the numbers. moral of
0: the story is: go out there. If you know somebody that believes that you believe should be nominated, go out through the process and nominate them.
3: Now, no, Matt. This is.
0: Uh, I saw this during the week, and I must. I got very excited as well. Like a lot of Dubbo people, in regards to uh, the announcement of the Dubbo Sports Hub. Now, this is a twenty-three point three million dollar project. That um, it's probably going to cost even more than that. I suggest in the end, um, it's an additional twenty odd million that's come through there uh, from two thousand eighteen. So, what? It, it, is this finally starting to happen? This, this is my sort of thoughts in regards to this. It's been around for a little while, this project. I know there's been a bit of discussion in the community in regards to uh, when this is going to take place. Is, is this now finally starting to come to fruition?
1: Absolutely right. 2018, you spot on, it was first announced. Yep. And I wasn't on council at the time, but from memory, it was about $20 million that was announced right. for that. And this is a project that was really about PCYC. PCYC have got their building now. If uh, People will be familiar with that down yes. in the CBD. Yep. And they've actually outgrown that and outgrown the sporting needs in the community for it. And PCYC do an absolutely fantastic job. So back in 2018, it was announced that PCYC would have... Basically, the charge of this sports facility, but mm. they didn't have the money to do that. State government announced about twenty million dollars. There are a few things that occurred since then that have had delayed the project. And I won't go into sure. the past history of all that. Yep. I don't think it's absolutely relevant to where we're well, headed. No, it's about moving forward. Moving forward, that's exactly right. So now, during the week, the state government came on board and said. We're going to give another twenty-three point three million dollars. So we're talking about over forty million dollars mm-hmm. for this yeah. sports hub. Massive, which is exciting. Thing, yes. It's on Charleston University land. Right. So it's located up between Charleston University and the devo Cycle Track. So that if mm. you can picture that particular parcel of land there. We saw the plans, just pictures of the plans there on the day of the announcement, and they look very exciting. Mm. Huge facility there. Mm. You've got a number of sports, probably basketball was a large focus for this to get better basketball facilities in our community. But you're also talking about netball, gymnastics, hockey, indoor hockey, obviously. This is all all an indoor facility. Mm volleyball futsal badminton all mm. of this are in the plans you
0: can see the massive benefits here to Dubbo with this That's and right. the region for that matter I mean, we talked about earlier about the regional input of these type of facilities we have here to add something like this to Dubbo is, is phenomenal so is it have we got any sort of time frame I know it's <laughs> a, we talked about this in 2018 it's, it, I can understand people feeling a little bit oh yeah it'll happen it'll happen sort of thing yeah. it, is there a bit of a time frame on this or where are we
1: well the good news is the DA has been lodged and has gone through council now so okay. the, the DA plans are there done the project will probably be managed by someone associated with the PCYC right. so council is not managing the project I don't think the state government's managing it per se
2: Yeah.
1: I imagine it will be managed via the PCYC I imagine now they're at the point of almost getting ready the plans are pretty well finalised but yeah. getting ready to go out to tender and actually start okay. getting things happening with it it's going to be a big construction project I can't Absolutely. see them building Sounds that huge. project within a time frame of maybe two years probably mm. it would take to actually build it all there's some exciting parts of it, though. One of the things that I learned on the day when we are up there was that the standard now for mm. things like basketball courts, you've got an increased standard of runoff that's required. Mm. So it's now three metres. When you look at some of the other facilities that have been built around You're other You're talking at the end of the
0: courts, yes. Outside
1: the court, that's right. Yep. It's a new standard. It's basically saying that we need more runoff. Mm. It doesn't mean that basketball courts have been built in the past in other areas aren't able to be used, mm. but when it comes to trying to host large events, large uh, maybe state or nationwide events, mm. that three metres of runoff will be absolutely a feature that we can put our hand up and say, yeah. we've got the latest standard. Meet the
0: international standard of what's expected.
1: Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And as we've found with athletics track, we can attract better events when we can say we're meeting international standards. Now, this yes. is a new standard, so it's not yes, as if yes. the…
0: Cutting-edge It is. Not not as if the other
1: ones that have been built around other regions made a mistake. They built to the standard of the Mm, day. What was expected. But we'll be able to build to the standard of the day with a new standard. So that's pretty exciting as well. I've
0: got one more question for you. Is this money secured? This is is, is this actually, going to be based on the what happens at the state government elections in March or is this no. money going to be secured?
1: I, I spoke to the Deputy Premier who was there on the day and I, that was the, question, the first yes, question I put to right, him. that's right, fair call. Was, is this an election promise or mm. is this money? They said, no, this is money in the bank. Okay. So they've right. got PCYC... You've you heard it heard have, first here, folks. We've secured right. that. That's right. Uh, the, 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 over that 40 million dollars there is sitting mm. there ready to be spent okay. on this project. So there's nothing stopping it really now... That's magic. ...from happening. Mm. And again, exciting project... And what we'll see, as we see with other facilities, the things that we'll attract, not just for our local athletes, but the things that we'll attract from around the region, around the state, will be fantastic. Mm, mm. The other side that I want to just touch on briefly is that we've got a business that has basketball courts now. And I remember talking to people several years ago about Mm. basketball courts and why doesn't Council go and build some new basketball courts? Yes. Part of the problem is we didn't have the money. But another part of the problem that I identified is that you've got private businesses that have facilities, Yes. if council goes and uses ratepayers' money to build a new facility that then competes directly with businesses that could potentially put them out of business, mm. is that what council should be doing? Now, the owner of that particular business, I think there have been some various discussions over the years since 2018, mm. and again, it wasn't a council decision to, to make with all of this, mm. but I think that particular business owner is at a point where they can see the potential with what they can still do yes. with their facility it may not involve a lot of basketball going forward. It may still involve some midweek competitions, yes. a whole range of options there. But it, it's a different facility. This is yes. an international… That facility
0: has diversified somewhat from basketball from its right. original concept, was it? And indoor yeah. cricket is obviously played Absolutely. there.
1: It's not proposed. Indoor cricket will be played at the new sports hub, yep. certainly in the short term. Other facilities, other events. So I am conscious of that. I am conscious of when council spends its money, it can put other businesses out of business. yes it's understandable. But in this scenario, I think the quality of what's needed for this area, Mm. it just wasn't going to happen privately. No.
3: Now, Matt, I'd like to finish up with uh, one of our
0: favourite topics, roads. (laughs) This is a positive one, though. But look, uh, we talked about last week in regards to roads and, and the costs—how much money it costs to actually put these roads down. It was amazing how much money is involved. Now, notice the fact there, though, that um, during the week there was an announcement made that there was five hundred million dollars given towards regional roads, which is well—that's that's a significant money in anyone's books. I'd suggest. So, how did we go in Dubbo? Did we get a little bit of that?
1: So it wasn't quite five hundred million for regional roads. Oh, okay. The state government made the announcement not that long ago yep. that. They were going to give $500 million to councils. Right. Of that, $280 million was okay. tagged as being for regionals. So that was great. Yep. Before Christmas, there was an announcement of $50 million to be spread amongst a range of councils. Yes. We put in for that. It was based on the length of our roads. And so out of that, we got approximately 955000 mm-hmm. It was about 1.9% of the overall amount there. Yep. This one here, they didn't tell us how much we are going to get. I did some rough calculations If it was based Mm -hmm. on that same 1.9%, I came up with a figure of about $5.3 million. Mm -hmm. So we had that in mind. But, of course, it doesn't matter how much we ask for. It's just, yes, we'll be part of it, please. We put the application in. They'll then work out all the road lengths and then give money out accordingly. So they did make the announcement during the week. So we got slightly less than my guess, my estimate, $5.074 million. You went out by
0: far. It was was pretty close. It was was in
1: the same sort of ballpark, which is good. That money has to be spent by the end of this year, which is okay. fine, because we want to spend there's it by the end of this year. There's plenty of uh,
0: opportunities to spend it, I suggest. Basically, right. Have you got some priorities in regards to where this is going to go?
1: They'll actually go through council. So okay. we've got our first council meeting of the year held on this Thursday 9th of February yep. so the the roads in terms of where we'll go with that that will be a council resolution so there'll yep. be a whole range of different roads that we can decide about where that money goes yep. keep in mind that our road infrastructure backlog I've mentioned it before mm, mm. before our flooding events was in the order of $40 million mm. Now it's worse than that because of all the flooding impacts. Yeah. So, five million dollars doesn't solve all of our problems. And our
0: council budget, I remember you're saying was about 22 or 24 million. Tw- or 28
1: we 28 spend million. this yep. year on our roads. Yep. So, five million helps. There's no doubt about that yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't solve all of our problems, but it certainly helps. And so, we appreciate that. We thank mm. the government for that. Yeah. We've still got to hand it out for more money if they want to hand it out more money, yeah, yeah. but we'll certainly use that. Yep. And that will certainly help things. And I'm actually seeing already now that the rain has slowed down, the subsoil moisture is starting to go away. I'm seeing improvements in highways. I'm seeing improvements in our local roads. There is definitely work being done, but mm. it can't all happen at once, unfortunately. So we'll continue to work on that. But it's good news. We're getting more money, yeah. more money to spend. There's always good news out of all of that.
0: That's great. <laughs> All right, Max, it's been a, been a big day today. There's been a lot to get through. But, of course, there is our final moment, and that is your limerick. <laughs> so what's your focus this week? Uh, I know last week was obviously the best one because you focused on well, my return, which is lovely of you, by the way, and I really enjoyed that. But what do you got this week? What's well, our focus?
1: with your birthday, I wanted to do it again on you, but I jumped the gun, didn't I? I went a week too early. <laughs> so this week I thought I'd focus on... Roads. I oh, there we so go. I'm well, I'm
0: glad we finished with the roads talk then. This <laughs> sort of right. leads to a segue moment. There That's it is. Right.
1: And there's so much discussion around roads. Anyway, here's what I've put together. Excellent. In Dubbo, the roads are a sight, with potholes causing much fright. There is much to be done, and the repairs have begun, so the future is looking very bright.
0: Oh, Matt, well done again. Well done. Well, folks, that just about wraps us up for this week's edition of Merrill Memo. Thank you, Matt, for uh, enlightening us on what's happening here with the flying cars and the, the road updates and, uh, of course, all those major events that are coming around here in Dubbo and the region over the next month or so. So until next week, everyone, take care.
3: Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.